Our call to worship this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and those who have good memories will remember that it is part of the passage that was preached upon last week. Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our opening hymn this morning is one that I've known for about 20 years. I think some people in their 20s will have sung it at school, but for other people it may be new. Um, It's fairly easy to pick up, and hopefully by the time we get to the end, we'll all be able to join in. I watch the sunrise lighting the sky.
So we're going to come to God now with our prayers of adoration and confession, after which we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. And as usual, we are invited to say that in our own first languages and the version that is most familiar to us. Slight change to usual practice this morning in that the Sunday school and the Bible class will be leaving us straight after the prayers because they are going into the city centre to visit the homeless Jesus statue and to reflect on that. So um, there will be a slight um, bit of noise after the prayers as as they leave us. But let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, present with us, and among us every moment of every day. Help us now as we meet together to become aware of your presence. Help us to still our busy minds and to quieten our restlessness. Help us to listen for the quiet whisper of your voice amidst the noise of human living. Generous God, extravagantly filling the earth with all kinds of animal and plant life, forming oceans and continents where all may find a place to thrive, 
We thank you for the abundance that we have enjoyed. And we thank you for the things that we have perhaps enjoyed without thinking about them at all this week. Shops full of foods from all around the world. Clean water at the turn of a tap. And heat at the flick of a switch. Homes where we can rest and relax. Play and socialise. And so much more. Forgiving God, whose love and grace are immeasurable and whose judgment is always fair and just. Once again, we are aware of our own limits and failings. The moments when we have felt proud of ourselves and belittled others and the moments when we have belittled ourselves and idolised others. The times when we have been selfish, unkind, harsh or impatient. And the times when we have not been generous, kind, gentle or patient. You know our hearts and you remove from us every sense of guilt if only we ask you to. Renewing God, whose spirit fills us with life and hope, energy and faith. Help us to learn of Jesus and to live for him in the world for which we now pray in the words he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen.
Our first reading is from Genesis chapter 17, starting at the first verse. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, starting at verse 31. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his (laughs) disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their love, their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels.
My guess is that already this morning, all of us have made a number of choices. Some of those choices were really quite trivial. What clothes to wear, what to have for breakfast. And obviously, everybody here made a choice to come to church and to share in worship together. I wonder why we made that choice. Hopefully, at least part of our decision was that we wanted to worship God, to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, and to spend time together in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we might have come out of habit. We might have come with a feeling that it's a sense of duty rather than something we desire. And I had to come because it's my job. But whatever reason we have come, we chose to do so. And I expect it was not a difficult choice. It wasn't a hard choice. Coming to church is something that we do. And I think for those of us who have grown up in the West and those of us who have grown up in this nation, where religious freedom is protected by law, we don't realise actually how privileged we are that that, this is an easy choice in some senses to make it's a free choice we can choose to follow Jesus we can choose to come to church and no one can arrest us or raid our homes or offend us greatly in fact if they do try to offend us we have protections against that as well But of course that's not true for everybody, is it? And we only have to look around us this morning to be reminded that in many parts of the world it is very difficult to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. There are places where some of our friends have come from where to follow Jesus is to risk arrest, is to risk execution, And there are some countries where not only would you be executed, but your parents and grandparents, your children and your grandchildren would be executed if it was discovered that you were a Christian. And we also have some Eastern Europeans among us, um, not whether it's today, unfortunately, they're not here, but regularly we have Eastern Europeans who grew up under communism. And we know from Lena's story that her father and her aunts and that generation of her family were sent into internal exile because they believed in Jesus and it affected their access to education and more. And Sylvia, you come from a, a, a commun- uh, an atheist kind of communist country, so again, it's difficult to be a Christian. So it is a hard choice for many people. But when I thought about it a bit more carefully, it struck me that actually even in the West, it's not really such an easy choice. Because to follow Jesus isn't just to come to church on a Sunday. And it isn't just to believe a set of doctrines. It isn't even enough to be baptised and to covenant with a church in membership. It's a lifelong decision to follow Jesus 
And some of what that demands of us is far from easy. The readings that we're using this morning are from the lectionary. So we have this Old Testament reading set against the New Testament reading. And as I thought about Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah, they were faced with some very hard choices too. They were an old couple. They had lived faithful lives. And they could have just settled down and seen their days out where they were. And God called them and said, I want you to leave behind everything you know and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Show it them there and then. She says, I'm going to show you a place and that's where I want you to go. And they choose to do so. They accept that call of God and they set off on this journey. And they hear this promise of God that Abram will become the father of many nations. But nothing happens. Their childbearing years go by and there is no child. It's a hard choice and one that they can't see how it's going to work out. And sometimes along the way, they make some choices that aren't so good. Perhaps you remember that when they went to Egypt, Abram was afraid that people realising that Sarah was beautiful would kill him so that they could have Sarah for their wife. So he said, now, I want you to pretend that you're my sister, not my wife. Because then I'll be safe. They won't be interested in me if, if, if you're my sister. They, they can be interested in you, but I'll be all right. And that comes out, and, and the people are quite angry about it. And then there was the time when they realised that having a child was looking increasingly impossible, and Sarah came up with an idea. She said to Abram, I have this Egyptian maidservant. You could have a child with her. And we will bring it up as ours. And of course, that went horribly wrong because as soon as Hagar conceived, Sarah became very envious of her and started to treat her cruelly. And Hagar fled. And it's a very sad story, though we are reminded that God reached out to Hagar and to Ishmael even when they had been sent out into the wilderness. So they got it wrong sometimes, Abram and Sarah but they did their best to follow God's call and of course their story ends with that very strange tale that we can never quite understand they are finally able to have a child in their old age and then Abraham is told to sacrifice this child to God and he just does as he's told and he he takes Isaac and it's this awful heart-rending story as they go up the mountain and Isaac is carrying the, the sticks and he says to his dad well where's, where's the sheep and it's oh don't worry God will provide and they get to the top and they build the fire and he ties up Isaac and he puts him on top and he gets a knife and then he is stopped by God from doing it I don't understand that story I find it a very frightening story But it is a story that reminds us that following God can be very costly. And actually, unlike Abraham and Sarah, we don't always find that there is a ram caught in the thicket to take away the challenges we face.
So this story, the story of Abraham and Sarah, would have been well known to the people amongst whom Jesus preached. And the people he spoke to faced their own challenges because although Judaism was legal under the Roman Empire, you still had to be a little bit careful what you did. And you kind of had a double whammy because you had the religious authorities, the Jewish religious authorities, that would, you know, they could chuck you out if you said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. And you had the Roman authorities who had the power to execute you if you fell foul of them. And there were amongst the Jewish people those who wanted to be liberated from Rome and who rose up and gathered people around them and said, right, we can overthrow Rome. And, and they would be seen as a messiah for a while until it all went wrong and they ended up crucified along the roadside. And there were rabbis who would gather around them, people to, who were eager to learn from them. Among them, a rabbi that we know as Jesus who taught many things some of which are quite hard. When we read the gospel stories about Jesus, we begin to discover just how challenging his call on his followers are, the choices that you have to make in order to follow him. And sometimes what he says seems to be the exact opposite of what he teaches us to be. He talks about loving, he talks about caring, And then he says to those who would follow him, but I want you to leave behind your family. I want you to leave behind your work. I want you to sell your possessions. But these aren't choices he expects them to make lightly. He's recorded in the Gospel of Luke as saying to his followers, you know, if you were going to build a tower you'd sit down and work out how many bricks you needed first. And if you couldn't afford enough bricks, you wouldn't do it because you'd look awfully stupid if you got a half-built tower. Or if you were a, a, a powerful ruler and you were going to go into battle, you'd think about it very carefully first. And if you didn't think you were going to win, you'd try and negotiate a peace treaty with the other nation because you'd don't want to lose you don't want to end up dead for nothing he expects those who would follow him to think carefully about what it is he demands of them and then to choose to do so last week when we had the college taking our service Lena spoke to us very beautifully and eloquently about the part of Uh, the reading in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus spoke of taking his yoke and learning from him. And it's a choice to take the yoke of Jesus to follow him. And it is a very beautiful image, this yoke that has very carefully crafted to fit us perfectly. It's not rough wood, it's carefully shaped to fit our shoulders and our necks. And it's been sanded nicely so it's smooth. You won't get any splinters sticking into our skin. And Jesus says, and I'll come and take the other side of the yoke and I'll walk with you. It's a beautiful image. But it's not an easy choice. 
because to be yoked to Jesus is to allow God to direct the path our life takes, even if that isn't what we might choose ourselves. You know, you can't, if you're yoked to somebody, I can't go that way and Jesus goes that way. If I'm yoked to Jesus and he goes that way, and I've got to go too. So we, as if we're yoked to Jesus, he will lead us to the margins, to where people are vulnerable, to where people are excluded, to where people are hated. And he will say, these are the people that I love. These are the people I want you to reach to. And we might find ourselves misunderstood by society because society doesn't have that sense of let's go to the margins, to the vulnerable, to the despised, to the excluded and draw them in. Society has values that says, I'm going to get to the top, I'm going to get a promotion, I'm going to get a bigger house, a bigger car, more holidays. It's a strange choice in the eyes of the world to choose to be yoked to Jesus. So there is a burden. He says, my my burden is light. It's not a heavy weighing down burden, he claims. But there are responsibilities that we take when we choose to be yoked to Jesus. We accept the burden of discipleship. And then we get this second image where Jesus says that his disciples need to make an even harder choice. He says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross. The trouble is, in the West, we think of nice crosses like this one. Beautifully carved, nice and smooth, something to look at and help us to think about our faith. But the cross that Jesus was referring to was probably a single piece of rough timber, the cross bar on which a criminal would be executed. And unlike the image of the yoke that's beautifully fitting and smooth, this would have plenty of splinters or scalps to get into your arms and your shoulders. This would be heavy and rough and it would hurt and it would be hard work to carry and it was an image that people would have been used to as criminals, men, they didn't, um, didn't crucify women, but men, with this, their arms tied to this, weighed down under it, walking through the streets. To take your cross and follow Jesus is to choose a path that risks rejection, ridicule, and in some circumstances, even death. It's the absolute opposite of what the world says we should choose. Whether Jesus, in telling this story, using this image, was kind of giving them a hint that he was going to end up being executed or not, I don't know. But what he is talking about is the choice of a sacrificial route. To say, we give our life freely to God to bring freedom to others that's what the cross is about isn't it it's about being reconnected with God that sacrifice of Christ liberates us all from the tyranny of death from sin and from finitude 
So it's a hard choice. And I don't think Jesus is calling us necessarily to be executed, and thank goodness for that, because I'm a wuss. But it is a call to choose to let go of security, to get go of any sense of entitlement, and instead to embrace risk and ridicule and spend our lives, our emotions, our energy, our ability, our experience, our education, whatever it is, to spend all of that in the service of God. And so we have these two choices, the choice to take the yoke and the choice to take the cross. So do we choose one or the other? Or do we choose them both? The thing is, they're actually connected. If we choose the yoke, the burden of learning and service where we're going where Jesus leads us, inevitably that leads us to the cross. And if we chose the cross which is probably less likely, but if we did, the sacrifice of self-interest and success would lead us also to Jesus and therefore to the yoke. Because sacrifice and service are equally significant in the life of Christ and so in the work of discipleship. And maybe it's not such a bad thing that the the shape of the yoke and the shape of the crossbar are kind of similar because each of them carries a little bit of the other within it. I did a bit of research this week. I looked to see if anybody else had ever thought about this idea of putting the yoke and the cross together because I thought it was quite a good idea. And of course, plenty of much cleverer people than me had done it. Lots of websites where people tell you how to preach on the, on the cross and the yoke. And some of them said, well, you know, the cross is definitely the spiritual bit. That's about the divine bit and about sin and redemption. And the yoke bit is the sort of servicey, earthy bit about living it out. But actually, they both go together. You kind of can't have one without the other. If the cross represents the defeat of sin and saving of souls in a spiritual sense then the yoke leads us to the defeat of corporate and institutional sinfulness and the saving of souls in a practical way of health, well-being, eradicating poverty, overcoming injustice. If taking up the cross, as some have suggested, is a symbol of leaving the world behind to follow Jesus, then bearing the yoke is a symbol of learning from Jesus how to serve in the world. So we can't just believe the right things, and we can't just think about our own salvation. To be followers of Jesus is to choose a path where we live the right way. We challenge the practices and the structures that damage and demean other people in the here and now. The call is not to be saved by being taken out of the world to some kind of eternal bliss, but actually to work for the kingdom of God in the world 
so that the, the creation that God loves so much can be restored to what God imagined for it. So it's both. To choose the cross is to choose the yoke. To choose the yoke is to choose the cross. To choose faith is to require deeds. To act in the way we think Jesus wants us to requires faith. So it's not really a surprise I end up back where I always do. But we have to hold together our faith and deeds. But these are hard choices. The choice to follow Jesus is not an easy one. But to follow Jesus is what we have decided to do. Each of us. Each of us is on that journey of discipleship. Because in Jesus we glimpse something very special. It's not just about salvation from sin or from hell. It's about transformation into the people that God has made us to be. Next week's going to be brilliant. Really excited. We've had some wonderful baptism preparation classes. I ate the most delicious Iranian soup last night. And I found a recipe from Nigel Slater so I can make it. So that's even better. It's an exciting journey milestone that we will be sharing together. But it is just that. It's a milestone. And for all of us, whether or not we have been baptised, whether God has called us that way or not, we are all called to follow Jesus, to take the yoke and to take the cross. Amen. And so we're going to sing a hymn that expresses that now. Take up your cross, the Saviour said.
Many of us will be familiar with the saying, we all have our crosses to bear. Words that can sometimes be encouraging to hear and sometimes decidedly irritating to hear. The crosses we have to bear are not those we choose. They're not the requirements of discipleship, but actually in a damaged and disordered world, They are the painful and heavy burdens that we all of us find sometimes metaphorically we have to carry. And so our prayers this morning are going to focus on these unchosen, unwanted crosses. And I will be guiding us, but there are not going to be a lot of words. Instead, I'm going to invite us, if we find it helpful, to use gesture to help us in our praying. So I would like you to get yourselves comfortable so that you're not going to be wriggling and fidgeting. And it's probably good. Most people find it good if you put both feet on the floor, but if you prefer to have your legs crossed, that's fine. And just be in a relaxed and fairly upright posture. And if it's helpful, to close your eyes. And then to place your hands in a way that will help you to offer your prayers to God. So it may be that it's helpful to place some palm upwards in your lap or to cup them as if you're holding something. And in the prayer, I'm going to invite us to imagine we are holding these burdens. And when I say the words, we lift them to you now, if it's helpful, we can just move our hands, not right up in the air, not suddenly turning charismatic, so don't panic but just a little bit forwards or upwards as if we are offering this prayer to God. So let's pray. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Prince of Peace, Saviour and Friend, we bring you now our prayers for others. For those whose cross is a burden of fear. Those who live with the threat of abuse or violence. Who fear arrest for their religious beliefs. And for those whose fears are of the unknown. We lift them to you now. For those whose cross is a burden of sickness. Those who live with chronic, life-changing or life-limiting conditions. those recovering from medical treatment for injury or illness and those whose lack of wellness is not easily understood. We lift them to you now.
for those whose cross is a burden of loneliness. Those whose family and friends have all died. Those who will speak to no one today or tomorrow. And those who are surrounded by people but feel utterly alone. We lift them to you now. For those whose cross is a burden of regret, those who cannot let go of the past, those who wish they could go back and change things, those who feel snared by choices made or actions taken. We lift them to you now. For those whose cross is a burden of plenty, those whose wealth or success enslaves them, those who are weighed down by expectations, whether their own or those of others, those whose security depends on possessions. We lift them to you now. For ourselves, with the burdens that are known only to you and to us, the attitudes, the possessions, the habits, or the circumstances that prevent us from being truly human, truly who you call us to be. We lift them to you now. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Prince of Peace, Saviour and Friend, thank you for hearing our prayers. Help us to be content to trust that you will ease our burdens and walk with us into a lighter future. Amen.
Loving God, all good things come from you, and it is our joy and our privilege to return these gifts of money to your service. So help us to spend them wisely in the ways of the Christ whom we serve. Amen. Our closing hymn is a good old-fashioned hymn of commitment. It's a challenging hymn. To sing it with integrity, to sing it and mean it, is difficult. But you are invited, if you're able, to stand as we sing this hymn. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee.
As we go from here back to the busyness of daily life, may God bless us with courage, compassion and companionship that we may follow in the footsteps of Christ today and every day.